Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Wayne Maloney. Wayne is an Australian business growth strategist with a global background. For over four decades, he helped a diverse range of businesses in Australia, Asia, and Europe achieve their revenue and profit goals. Since leaving his corporate career, Wayne has spent over 15 years helping B2B organizations tackle their business growth challenges through the application of sound sales and business strategies, developing salespeople, and applying lean principles for sustainable sales success. Thanks so much for joining me today, Wayne. I'm really looking forward to it, Diane. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, I am too. Uh, and, and I want to dive right into this about you, you talk about personas and archetypes, and I would love it if you would explain what each of those is, please. Yeah, look, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, archetypes go back to uh, you know, for a um, psychologist, Carl Jung, uh, Jung uh, an Austrian, and he developed a total of 12 archetypes and 12 and, and the archetypes are he talked about them being universal patterns that he could apply to individuals. And it was really a way that, that he could characterize each individual. And it wasn't so much a, a matter of their personality, which I'll talk about, or their persona that I'll talk about in a second. It was more, he said, what an individual's motivation was. So it wasn't necessarily what they showed to the world, but what their motivation was. Um, as I said, he had 12 archetypes, and I won't go into those. And there's been a lot of uh, people part, uh, since then that have been able to break them down into, into different um, archetypes. And in sales, I actually use six, and I've broken those into two groups. I've got the change agents in organizations and the advocates. And the advocates are, tend to be ones that, uh, that might be able to help you, uh, but don't have the power and the personality to drive change in an organization. And that's the change agents. So they're the person, they're the, uh, the motivations that those individuals would have. And I'll go into the details of each one as we talk. The persona or the personality is what someone presents to the world. So you can have an archetype of being, uh, you know, a mercenary that, you know, you've got mercenary um, traits that you know, you're really focused on me, but your personality could be very different. And I think if we think about personalities, a lot of that comes down to how you're defined in a DISC or a uh, maybe a Myers-Briggs or, or one of those types of assessments that people will take. I use something a lot simpler and I'll, I'll talk about that as we go through. Okay. So this is so interesting for me. So who defines an archetype in a customer and how do they do that? Okay. Well, let me, let me take a step back and, and talk okay. about 
six archetypes that we've got. Um, and when I say we, it's a, it's a process that I've worked through with a couple of colleagues. Um, as I said, we have the change agents and change agents are the people that have got the personality and the power within an organization to drive change, to drive consensus. And we break them down into three. We've got an inquisitor, we've got a sage, and we've got a champion. The inquisitor is the person that's focused on interrogation. So they're the person that if you put a proposal in front of them, they're going to really dig deep into that and they're going to tear that apart. And they're people that will respond to truth and quantifiable guidance. And you think about most organizations, it depends on what you're presenting, but the people that are going to have sort of an inquisitor type nature will tend to be the people that fit into finance or technical roles. We then got the sage and the sage is someone that's focused on communicating the ideas. So they respond to the big picture and the scope of possibility. So they're the people that you will see that are more the visionaries within that organizations. And they tend to be, uh, they hold positions of power uh, such as general management or even CEO or something of that nature. The, the one that all salespeople need to get to is the champion. And they, you can have a champion that's on your side or against you, but the champion's the person that you need to identify that focuses on getting the job done. And they're looking at organizational success. They're looking at methodology of delivery. They're looking at making sure that what's implemented is going to actually deliver the job. So if you're working in a, in a, a sales environment on a complex sale, you need to have a champion on your side. Now, how do you identify them? It comes to observation. A lot of those people, you can imagine the inquisitor is the person that when you put a proposal in front of, the, of a group is going straight to looking at the, at, at the technical side of it. They're looking at the numbers and they're going through. And the first thing they're doing is trying to see if they're correct. The sage is the person that's looking at it on a bigger picture. They're the guys that would look more at the executive summary than they would at the detail. And the champion's the person that's sitting back and observing what's happening. And they're the person that you need to identify because they've got the, the power to make things happen. So they're the three accomplice, uh, sorry, they're the three archetypes that are really critical. But we've also got people within that, those archetypes that we look at when you work in an organization, you've got um, the mercenaries. And I think we've all come up against mercenaries in sales and they're the guys that are focused on, and girls that are focused on what's in it for me. And they respond to vanity, to personal advancement. And you can identify these people because the questions that they put forward to you are ones that are looking at um, not the bigger picture, not what's in it for the business, but where is it making sure that they're safe? And then you've got the accomplice and they're great because the accomplices don't necessarily have power, but they're the people that want to talk to you. They want to help you. They want to help you find the right people within the organization to move forward. They don't have the power. They don't have the personality to be able to make the change, but they can introduce you to the right people. And the last one that we've defined is a messenger. And a messenger responds to gossip. They respond to being in the know. And I think we all know these people. I think there's a, I think it was a, an American term I talked about, you know, the, the chat around the water cooler. These are the people that want to be in control of information. 
And they can be a great asset to you because they can, if you get on the right side of those people, they can provide you with information, but you can always use them to put information back into the organization as well. So that's the six archetypes. And I've covered them a little bit deeper than I intended when I answered that question. But I think I've sort of looked at how you identify those people and who identifies it. It's the sales team. And it's very difficult as an individual in some cases to identify these people. So it is a team effort when you're working on these larger complex sales that, uh, that you might be engaging so many of these individuals. I, I'm so glad that you went a little deeper because I have to tell you that the, um, the champion and the, oh shoot, what was the one, um, the accomplice? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you breaking those down because I would have thought that the champion would be the accomplice. So, well, that... you can have a champion that's that's not on your side, where an accomplice will be. You know, ah, right. So you you can have a champion in an organization that's that's anti you. Yeah, um, and you need to make sure that you know if you can't win a champion over, uh, and the champion within that organization is dead set against your, your, your business, against your proposal, against the value proposition you're putting forward, and they're in favor of someone else, um, you're gonna really struggle to, to get your ideas, to get your, your proposals, to get your thoughts taken seriously within that organization. Um, you might get the, you, know, you might be able to put news out there, information out there through the messenger, you might get the sage that's communicating the idea and you might have the inquisitor that's digging deep and saying, yeah, this all looks good. But if the champion's the one that can really drive consensus within the organization and he's looking at, the, at, at your competitor and saying, no, this is the direction we should go, it's very difficult for the others to, to have an impact. And that, that leads to something else. And that, that leads to why, or not why, but one of the reasons why we have so many no decisions on a business because the people making that sale haven't been able to drive consensus among these archetypes within the organization. So I was just going to ask you about that. I'm so glad that you brought that up. So, you know, is it possible to turn the champion around or um, create a situation where they have less influence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and you do that by we've all not all read, but most of us have heard now of the challenger sale, and the, and you know I, I've argued for a long time that the challenger sale is not different. Um, it's what good salespeople have been doing all their their careers, and I know it's something that I was doing from the eighties. What the challenger sale did is it put some research behind it to show that that was the right approach that we should have been taking, and we know within that that you know, they were talking about you know, five, six, seven decision makers within a, a major deal that you'd be going with. So it's a matter of trying to find someone that might have a different agenda to a champion that is working uh, against you. And in doing that, you can then build up a team within that organization that are focused on something different. And it, it depends, what I like to look at it at wants and needs. A champion that's against you will probably be focused more on what they want or what they think they want. 
whereas a champion that you're working with, you need to work with them to understand what they need because what they want and what they need may not necessarily be the same thing. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to delve into a book that I've written, but in that we talk about um, uh, we have someone that's that's working through a, a, a sale of a security system into a large financial institution, and all the anti-champion, if you like, what thought they wanted, or, or what all he was focused on, was a firewall, effectively. Whereas what the salesperson uncovered as they worked with other people as the accomplice and the messenger started to give them assistance and information they started to understand that it was a lot more than just security the firewall that they had in place was actually creating problems for marketing and problems for customer service so over a period of time they were able to change the value proposition from just being keep the bad guys out but it was keep the bad guys out and learn from the good guys that you're dealing with as well, so that they turn that champion around by change by moving the goalposts effectively and saying, okay, this is not just about security. Yeah, that that so I love that whole concept because I think a lot of times what people forget is that a lot of um, complex sales really impact a lot of different areas of a of an organization. And so there are going to be a lot of different players and, and different needs. And a lot of times the organization doesn't realize the impact that, that's going to come from whatever the decision is that's made. And Diane, just as an example of that, and it's a very simple one, but many years ago I was working for a telecommunications company and we were trying to play, you know, replace the basic service provider that they had in place at the time. And this was a large cruise line and I couldn't get any traction at all. And this was when um, all the telecommunications, regardless of whether it was voice or data, largely fell under the CIO. And I, I couldn't get any traction with him at all. And he was, I won't say he wasn't, a, you know, he, he wasn't anti, but he just didn't see a need for change. And whatever we did, we just couldn't get him on side. But we were developing at the time the first true virtual private network um, that could be deployed. So we were starting to move not towards cloud, but you know that, that more cloud similar type services. And I started approaching the financial controller and the head of marketing because we were able to do things with marketing as far as their uh, routing of calls and as far as, um, and also HR, as far as routing of calls, allowing them to get people working from home, allowing them to split calls a lot more easily than what they could previously. Uh, we're allowing them to, to come up with vanity numbers that they couldn't do with the current supplier. And I was able to turn that guy around because what I basically did was understand what these people wanted I fed that back into him and allowed him then to take that to management to say, this is what I can do with telecommunications. Uh, so I set him up as the winner. Right. But I did it by learning more about what the rest of his business wanted, where he within the business was seen purely as the CIO and they weren't sharing that sort of information with him. So I, I won that by turning the champion around through my accomplice and my messenger helping me get to those other people and understand more about the business effectively than what the CIO did because he was so focused just on that uh, 
you know, the telecommunications, data communications, uh, and the IT space. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense to me. And are there um, archetypes that are more important than others? Yeah, well, pretty much as we've spoken about, um, you know, the mercenary is, is very important because you've got to sideline that person. Um, and mm -hmm. the inquisitor is extremely important because they're the ones that are going to look and find any little problems in what you're putting forward. And they're going to dig that down. So, you know, you need to be able to make sure that you're building authentically building trust with that person. You know, they want quantifiable evidence. They want the truth. So you need to, to work with that person to be able to provide that. The sage, I, I say, is not as important, but the important one's the one we've been talking about, and that, that's very much the champion. And I, in, in people that I work with, in, in businesses that I consult with and, and uh, salespeople that I mentor, you know, I focus very much on the champion. And along the lines that you and I have spoken about a little earlier, that if you've got no way of winning over a champion within an organisation, you need to question very, very strongly of whether you should be putting your time and effort into that opportunity. Uh -huh. Are you better off going somewhere else? Um, I had a, uh, when I worked for a, Australia's second carrier, Optus, uh, we had an opportunity to bid on a full network for, I can talk about it now, it's a long time ago, for Qantas. And the initial analysis that I did said that we should no bid it, but strategically the business decided, no, we can't be seen not to go after this business. Um, I had some good contacts there. The, uh, the CIO, uh, he was very much an inquisitor. Well, no, he wasn't actually. He was more an accomplice um, for me because he didn't have a whole lot of power to make change. But I also, at that time, understood that there was a very close relationship between the CEO of Qantas and the CEO of um, Telstra, who we were bidding against. And we worked on this bid for 18 months. And I learned later from the guy that was my accomplice that the technical team put our proposal forward on a number of occasions, and it was rejected at the C-suite on each occasion and the final decision was made CEO to CEO and it was because of the business that these guys were doing together they had joint you know they had joint um, visa cards there was a the, the Telstra Qantas visa card there was uh, enormous amount of people within Telstra traveling with Qantas all the time so there was decisions made outside of the technical so you know that person there the champion was was very important but we would never have got to the champion because those decisions were just made, as I said, at that CEO level, and they were made outside of anything to do with telecommunications. So as long as the proposal that was put forward was acceptable and wasn't going to be negatively impacting their business, they would go that path and we were unable to get to that champion. So right. if, if we had a champion, you know, if we, we'd had those business connections, uh, we would have been in a better position. So, yeah, in answer to the question, are some more important than others? It's important to understand them all, but some are more important than others. And that's the, the champion, to me, the champion, the accomplice, and the inquisitor are the three that I, I really look for when I'm working in an organisation. And I need to understand the mercenary because they're the ones that, you know, they're just in it for what's in it for them. 
and that because of that, they can derail a proposal or an opportunity uh, mm -hmm. out of sheer bloody mindedness. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. Right. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Well, so how, how does the persona and the archetype play together? Like, how does someone understand both of them because if i understood you correctly the persona is like how they show up yeah. right but isn't necessarily how they're wired that's right yeah and that's a good way of putting it but if you think about it uh, as i said disc and Maya briggs tends to um tends to identify the personality of an individual more but uh, and this i get some people say oh god that's so trivial the way you look at it I, I, I always struggled with Disc and, and Myers-Briggs and, uh, and, and I had a, a sales team in Hong Kong that I was working with and I, I was trying to get through to them the, uh, the approach of, of, um, of Disc, you know, under, un, un, understand that a personality of an individual, you know, they're dominant and, you know, or they're influential or they're steady and, one of my sales managers took me aside, well, not took me aside, but we were sitting down over lunch one day. And he said, I've never really thought about these, these personality types, these, as, as you explain it. I haven't thought about them as being disc or that. He said, in China, everyone's an animal. And I, I sat back and I thought, I said, hang on, everyone's an animal. And, and I said, and I've got a, a, a strong background in, um, uh, in Asian culture through my martial arts experience. And I, I said, you're right. You know, some of the training that we do in martial arts, we, we talk about, you know, the, the uh, we might have a, a snake move or different things like that. And then I thought about the, you know, the Chinese horoscope. And, um, and I said, okay, well, let's, let's sit down. And, on, and literally on a napkin over lunch, we came up with four personality criteria or per personality types we had a we had the owl and the owl was the the academic if you like he was the person that 
you know, if you were working with them, they were, they weren't gregarious, they'd sit back, but they were all very academic. We had the dog, and the dog was the more faithful one. Um, and we had, and they were the person that was out to please. And we had um, a monkey, and the monkey was the outgoing, always wanted to be talking, cracking jokes, doing those sorts of things. And um, what did I have? I had the uh, the owl, the monkey, um, the dog, and oh my god, I've forgotten my last one. Last one. <laughs> um, let me come back to that. But uh, okay. I broke it down purely to those four animals, and um, you know what? It worked really well because people didn't then need to go through and look at, oh, is this person a disc or whatever. It came across very clearly with people as to what that personality was because you know you look at it and if someone's jumping around they're well, exaggerating a bit there of course but if they're jumping around and you know they're gregarious they're yeah yeah this is great let's get down and talk about it let's go out and have a drink about this or chat about it over a coffee they're your monkey you know and I, i've made lists of and they're not that dissimilar to what's been put into disc of how you deal with each of those people and how you how you sell to them and and how you work with them so um i found that much easier than going through sort of disc profiles or something of that nature because it just came natural to me you know i look at my kids i've got a monkey i've got an owl and i've got a dog and uh you know to me it just it just made so much sense to break it down simply like that and that became to me that became the personality types of individuals so you know you can have a a champion who is quite gregarious, which makes them in, puts them into that sort of monkey stage. And um, that makes it uh, easier for you to start to understand how you can shift their dial, if you like. I see. Okay, that's great. I, I, that's so great. So that makes so much sense to me. And I, I, and I love the, the animal thing because I, I get that. And I struggle with disc because while I get it, I don't think about it when I'm engaging with someone, but I do, I think we all go through a process of assessing, you know, who they are, what they're like, what, what their mode is, so to speak. So it, and, it, it, yeah, it's like, and, it's like about that. Yeah. And sorry, I cut across you there, but the, the, okay. the other one, which is the obvious one, and it's too early in the morning for me is the lion. And Ah. All too often, you will get champions that are lions. But yeah, what was interesting? I was teaching this to, um, or it, it, part of my coaching with it with an organisation when we're working through this. And I then at the end of this, I say, okay, well, let's pick a large corporate that you, large business that you've worked with, and let's look at each of these individuals and who's your champion, and you know what persona have they got? Are they a lion, a monkey, a dog, or an owl? And I, there was a girl in the, uh, in the group who was an extremely good um, drawer, artist, I guess. And she started drawing these people with the head of a lion and the body of a monkey. Um, and because she said, well, they're not quite either. I see this guy as this. And that just, it, it was great for the rest of the team because that just showed them that yes, a person might be largely a lion, uh, you know, the dominant one, uh, the leader of the pride, if you like, but they're also got that, I want to get out and, you know, I want a party type mode. So um, that was, that was really good. And I think you can't look at these things in isolation. 
Um, you know, we put on different personalities at different times, depending on what we're presenting to the world. And a lot of that could be very much based on what's happening in our own lives or what's happening in the business at a certain point in time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I worry about pigeonholing people too much because I yeah. think it can lead to disinformation, you know, not communicating with them effectively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's spot on, Diane, the way you look at that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. So, um, how do you suggest that salespeople get that power-based perspective of all the stakeholders? So earlier you said, you know, it takes the whole team. Yep. Is there some sort of process? Is there, uh, you know, a system that you think works fairly well for figuring out who's who and what's what and how to proceed? I use, I use a thing that we call people mapping. And if you just imagine a quadrant, you know, a vertical line and a horizontal line and uh, the vertical line, call it influence and the horizontal line, call it relationship. And, you know, plus at the top, plus at the right, um, minus at the bottom, minus at the left. And what you need to be doing is as you identify these people, you place them on the map as to where they sit, you know, how le how's their, their, their level of influence and what's your relationship with them. So if you start out, for example, and you've identified the champion that you need to get to, but your relationship with them is low, you would put those initially in the top left corner. And um, the top left corner is, is, um, uh, is uh, low relationship and high influence. And your job as a salesperson is to move the dial, shift the dial so that you're moving that person into the top right quadrant. So you're always repositioning people based on the amount of work that you've done them, done with them through the sales process so that you're identifying these people. If you've got a, if you've got a champion that's very much fixed in, the, in that top left where they've got the, inf the influence, but you don't have the relationship, and you can't move them to the right, that becomes very difficult. And some of the way you might look at doing that is by engaging them with people that associate with their personality a lot more than what you might. Um, you know, we, we, we've, um, uh, again, just referring back to, to, to my book, we, we had a girl in that that was very much a monkey. And she was great at engaging with people that had that same sort of personality. And through that was able to build the relationships and start to move people into that, uh, the right-hand side of the, of the quadrant into the, uh, you know, the higher relationship level for people that had similar personalities to what she did um, in exactly the same way as, uh, you know, I, I was never a technical person from, a, from an IT perspective. And I basically would, would win deals based on what we could do for an organization. And then when they'd want to start to look at uh, the technical aspects, I'd effectively get my tech support guys and lock them in a room with their technical people. I'd go off with their, uh, you know, with the guy that I'd built the relationship and, and you know, we'd have a good time at the cricket or something and um, leave these guys to do the things that they really enjoyed was, was get down to... Um, you know, the sorts of things like uncovering what was happening. So they were going through their owl stage at the time, if you like, and their dog stage. 
uh, while we were off doing our monkey thing. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Oh my gosh, Wayne, this is so interesting and incredibly valuable for anyone I think engaged in the sales process. So thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, will you tell the listeners uh, how they can find your book, how they can you know, find you, what, whatever you've got going on that you think they should know, please? Yeah, look, that's great. Look, I, I think you know, we're all on LinkedIn these days and that does tend to be a great way to communicate and a great way to, to connect. Um, so anyone that, that's listening that wants to uh, hear more about what I'm doing or follow some of the things that I share on LinkedIn, uh, send me an invitation. Um, it's Wayne Maloney. Uh, W-A-Y-N-E-M-O-L-O-N-E-Y. Uh, they can jump on my website, uh, which is waynemaloney.com, or they can simply send me an email to wayne at waynemaloney.com. As for the book, um, thanks for the opportunity to mention it. It's uh, The Wentworth Prospect, and um, it's available wherever you buy your books. It's available in audio, uh, print, and ebook version, and it is different. It's written as a novel with sales technical aspects behind it through a website. So we have taken a, a different approach there. And um, yeah, I think people will enjoy it. They'll enjoy the read as a novel and they'll get a lot out of the training that we provide with it as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, it's really so great. Well, as I said, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.